0: Okay, how many of you here, by, by just by interest, were here last week? That's a lot. That's good. That means I won't do that much um, of kind of a recap. As you know, uh, most of you know, we're going through the book of Daniel together, which is really exciting. And the first six books, uh, six chapters of Daniel are pretty easy to speak on. They're kind of one of those chapters where... Most of them, anyway, that are pretty much a gift if you work in Sunday school uh, because they're easy to teach on. Um, Daniel in the lion's den, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego going into the furnace. Uh, a couple of weird dreams, but don't worry too much about those. Um, and then we get to chapters 7 to 12, where Daniel goes on a kind of apocalyptic trip um, and starts seeing beasts coming out of the ocean and, um, and all sorts of things. And he has talks with angels and they start to talk about the time of the end. And there's talk of time, times, and half a time, and loads of the imagery, and horns that talk, and all this kind of stuff. And so we're kind of looking at this second chunk of Daniel uh, for a couple of weeks to try and ask, okay, well, when you read bits like this in the Bible, and particularly in the book of Daniel, what are you supposed to do with it? Like, what are you supposed to do with the vision of uh, beasts with loads of horns, and all that kind of stuff? So uh, to recap a little bit last week, last week we looked at Daniel chapter 7 and 8. Uh, I intended to look at Daniel 7 to 12, but we only got through Daniel 7 and 8 uh, because they were still quite dense. So Daniel chapter 7, uh, next slide please Paul, um, is a vision of Daniel has of four beasts coming out of the ocean. Do you remember this? And the four beasts, the first one looks like a lion, the second one looks like a bear, leopard, bear. The fourth, third one looks like a leopard, and the fourth one is, is indescribable because it's so ugly. And these represent kingdoms that are coming, but then in the midst of the fourth kingdom, um, uh, the fourth kingdom sprouts a particularly ugly-looking horn that is uh, a symbol of a king who is incredibly powerful and oppresses the people of God. Um, I'm just holding my hand on top of my head to help you visualize the ugly-looking horn. Um, and the, the mouth speaks boastfully. And um, oppresses the people of God. But then all of a sudden Daniel has this incredible other vision. It says, then I looked and thrones were set in place. And the mood changes. It goes to, from a mood of chaos to a mood of calm. Thrones were set in place. The ancient of days took his seat. And the son of man, you see one like a son of man. Which is literally just a fairly normal way of saying human being. Um, So it doesn't mean that much that special in Daniel, but we'll come back to that. Uh, One like a son of man coming on clouds to the throne of glory, and he gets given a kingdom which will never end. And the beasts are disposed of, and God's people win. Yay! However, then Daniel gets another vision, doesn't he, in chapter 8? which is a vision of a ram and a goat. Now the ram and the goat represent two of the kings or kingdoms from the previous vision. So now we've gone from four to two of those. And um, the ram sticks around, not for very long. He grows a bit and then gets mashed by the goat who charges across the known world, taking over everything else. And then the story develops a little bit more clearly about various different kings that are going to come from the goat, in particular um, a horn that speaks boastfully um, and uh, oppresses the people of God. Does this ring any bells? It should ring some bells. Now, uh, we talked about actually... Chapter 8 identifies this kingdom as the kingdom of the Greeks, which is split four ways, and then away down the line there's gonna come a king who's gonna oppress the people of God. And we talked about how that um, is referring to primarily Antiochus Epiphanes IV, who, or Antiochus IV, Epiphanes, um, who was a Seleucid king which dominated kind of Turkey and that kind of region across there and down into Persia. And Most of the kings before him had kind of tolerated the Jewish people a little bit. Um, But Antiochus Epiphanes was absolutely ruthless with the people of God. There was a um, a revolt against his rule by some of the Jewish people. um, And they kind of killed a guy that um, Antiochus had put in charge of the temple. And then he just, he absolutely crushed the rebellion, and crush the people of God with it. Uh, there is written in, in Maccabees, in books of Map- Maccabees, which are in the Apocrypha, but not in our Old Testament, that in three weeks, 80,000 people were lost, 40,000 sold into slavery, and 40,000 massacred by Antiochus Epiphanes. He was absolutely appalling. And he took the temple of God, and he um, basically, like, he, <laughs> he desecrated it. Um, he set up an altar to Zeus, in the temple of God, which to the Jewish mind was like, that's the temple of God, what are you doing? And then started sacrificing pigs on that altar. So it was a way of saying, ha-ha, ha-ha. And it basically desecrated the temple. And in Daniel, that's referred to as an abomination that causes desolation. Are you with me? That's roughly speaking, we've caught up. Um, Now, chapters 9, 10, 11, and 12 in five minutes, because that's not actually really one I want to talk about. Um, But chapter 9... Um, It basically involves a really long prayer that Daniel prays to God, confessing the sins of his people to God, where he says, God, it's been about 70 years now that we've been in exile. And in Jeremiah, you say that the exile will last 70 years. So any chance of a rescue anytime soon? And then God sends the angel Gabriel to him. Now, this is the first time we meet Gabriel by name in the Bible. Ooh. Interesting little tidbit for you. Um, and Gabriel comes and says, not 70, but 70 times 7. It will take that long (laughs) to atone for iniquity, to finish transgression, end sin, bring everlasting righteousness, seal up the vision of the prophecy, and anoint the holy place. It's going to take a while longer. Now, of course, the people are brought back from exile after about 70 years in a measured way. But what Daniel's crying out for is true freedom. God says that's going to be a while uh, longer. And it describes some of those, it says 77s of years, or 77s. Um, and as you can predict, with numbers like that in an apocalyptic book, there are as many different interpretations of how to interpret those numbers as there are people who've tried. Like, it's, it's very hard to pin down exactly what Daniel's referring to um, with these 77s. And people basically, you know, countdown you know, there's the word one and then there's the number one. And they're given these numbers and then they're given a number to make from those numbers. It's a bit like that. You can pretty much make the numbers in Daniel by multiplying them and subtracting and interpreting them in different ways. You can pretty much make them get to the number that you want. So people are still prophesying the end of the world from the book of Daniel uh, based on different interpretations of these numbers. And so far, everyone's been wrong. But um, uh, uh, a local pastor called Roger Forster, who a lot of you will know, um, he interprets this as the 77s lead up to, uh, or the 69 7s lead up to the time when Jesus was killed on about March the 31st, 33 AD. And he manages to get the dates to there. Um, Other people interpret this as just leading up to Antiochus Epiphanes, same as the rest of the book. Make sense? Great, Chapter nine, tick. You can cross that off. You've got no problems understanding that. Now. Now, chapters 10 to 12 are actually one section. OK? So in the first bit, it starts off. you' heard anyone talk about a Daniel fast. It starts off with Daniel doing a Daniel fast. Maybe he read the book or something. Um, and he um, he decides to eat no-choice food, no-choice drink, for three weeks to seek the face of God. And at the end of that time, he's visited by another heavenly being. Um, it's not immediately clear who. It sounds, uh, I mean, angels visit him generally, but this sounds a lot like um, John meeting Jesus in Revelation 1. So... Could be, don't know. Um, But uh, he's visited by this vision of a man, um, and Daniel falls face down before him. And basically, chapter ten is the man trying to get Daniel to stand up again, having fallen over. Um, So it's a bit of a kind of, come on, Daniel, you can do this. You can, we can. And Daniel's like, I can't talk to you. How can I have strength to talk to you? And he eventually gets him up on his feet. um, And then. Chapter 11 deals with a long prophecy that walks through the history of the Greek Seleucide kings. Make sense? Leading up to, guess who? Antiochus Epiphanes. So what we had is these, chapter 7 is a very broad stroke, chapter 8 is a slightly more zoomed in thing, chapter 11 is really zoomed in, and you get like details of so-and-so's wife marrying so-and-so and making a treaty with them, but then the father-in-law will interfere, and then then the, the uncle will come from, like it's very, almost painstakingly detailed, um, and it talks about it in terms of the king of the north and the king of the south, and just this war going on between them. And we talked about last week how the people of God found themselves sandwiched between this kingdom of the north and this kingdom of the south. Um, and then it eventually leads to Antiochus Epiphanes, and then Antiochus Epiphanes dies. Ta-da! Done. Now, chapter 12 is then Daniel saying to God, effectively, and I'm truncating this a lot, um, so God, what do I do about this? And when's all this going to happen? And God basically says to him, Daniel, Get on with your life. The end. Now, uh, so that's Daniel. Now, (laughs) um, we'll come back to God saying, get on with your life um, towards the end. So what's really interesting uh, to me about that is that I do think that, what's on the next slide? I do think that um, all of Daniel, and particularly the second half of Daniel, is anticipating Antiochus Epiphanes, right? I, I, I take that interpretation of Daniel. I don't think that Daniel was first and foremost written about the end times or the end of the world. I think it was a prophecy towards, or at least about, Antiochus Epiphanes. However, <laughs> that raises some questions about Daniel. If it's about a guy that lived 174, 170 years before Jesus, what relevance does it have today? And why would God spend so much time developing a prophecy about this guy who stuck around for a bit? All right, he was a complete, you know, but uh, then he was gone. He disappeared. He died. And he didn't even die in a military death. He just got ill one day and popped his clogs. And that was it. And, um, but, but so why that? But then you think about Daniel and you think, actually, there's more there than just... Like, I think it is 100% about Antiochus Epiphanes, but I also think there's 100% more to it than that. Because we've picked up these hints that the kingdom of God is going to come and be established and never go away. And has that happened yet? No. So there's more. It anticipates more. It talks in chapter 12 that there's going to be a resurrection of the righteous and the unrighteous. The righteous to eternal reward. The unrighteous to eternal punishment. Has that happened yet? No. Um, have the, has, like the 77s were there to finish transgression, to end sin. Has that happened yet? Or is there still a problem with sin in the world? So that you see, it's kind of creating this sense of anticipation. Are there still powers that look beastly who oppress God's people and oppress everything around them? Yes. So then what do we do with Daniel? What do we do with Daniel? And really interestingly, there's, there's, I'm just going to lead us through some of the kind of images that we've picked up along the way so far. Next slide, please. Paul. Uh Aha. Oh, yeah. You might just need to click. Um, The first one, the image of the Son of Man. Do you remember that from chapter 7? The Son of Man who receives the kingdom. That's going to be an important phrase. The image of the Son of Man coming on the clouds. That's an interesting phrase. It's the way that the Son of Man receives the kingdom. Uh, Next one. the image of the abomination that causes desolation, which, as you will remember, refers to pagan altar in the temple, um, the next one um, the three and a half years, all this talk about time and different times, we kind of pick up this language coming through daniel there 's going to be three and a half years or one thousand two hundred and ninety days or however it says it um, there's, uh, It comes up a number of times next one. Um, Uh, The image of beasts and kingdoms as beasts. Next one. The image of the horns of those beasts. And those horns then take up boastful language and oppress uh, the people of God. Next one. Uh, The image of the persecution of God's people and how God's people are kind of under these powers, but then will receive the kingdom and become victorious. Next one. Uh, the image of the spiritual war. That was something I really wanted to get to last week, but didn't. Uh, Daniel has a really interesting chat with the guy in chapter 10 um, who says, actually, I tried to come to you three weeks ago, but I got held up fighting the prince of Persia. So this, this angel comes to him, or whoever it is, um, and says, I, 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 ch- I couldn't get to you because I was in a spiritual battle with another spirit prince. Okay, <laughs> sure, <laughs> um, and so that raises issues about what don't we see that's going on, kind of with these powers and principalities behind human power and principalities—a massive issue and probably not one that I'll unpack with you today, partly because I don't know. Uh, so, uh, but what is really interesting is that all of this language, all of this language, next one gets picked up in the New Testament, all of it. So all these key metaphors and language from the book of Daniel gets picked up and transformed again in the New Testament. So while it's about this guy in 170 BC, that indicates that it's also about something else, doesn't it? Now, really interestingly, right at the beginning of the story about Jesus, someone shows up in Luke's gospel to a young woman. Do you remember who shows up? Gabriel. When was the last time and the first time that we heard of Gabriel? In the book of Daniel, talking about this this kingdom that's going to come, these kingdoms, but then God's going to establish something that lasts forever. And so when Gabriel shows up at the beginning of Luke's gospel, it should create a sense of, not just, oh, it's an angel, but wow, I wonder if it's happening now. And he appears and he talks to Zechariah, the priest, and Mary and gives them the promise that the Savior is coming. Do you see the language of Daniel being picked up to say, it's coming. What was left anticipated by the book of Daniel is now on its way. Make sense? Not only that, but Jesus then grows up and his favorite way of talking about himself was the Son of Man. Now, Let's pause on that phrase uh, just for a little bit. Have I, I might not have a slide for this. The son of man. Now, the son of man in Daniel 7, literally, as I said earlier, just means person, really. It's just a fairly normal way of saying person. So in Ezekiel, the phrase is used 93 times about Ezekiel. So it's just God's way of saying, you chap, sort of thing. Does it make sense? But... But when you think of the beasts in chapter 7, these are human powers right? that through their grabbing and greed and malice and violence and um, sinful ways become beastly. Over time, they become less and less human and more and more like these deformed, ugly beasts. Does that make sense? But in Genesis, God created man and said, go have authority, go have dominion. There's a way to rule that's fully human. Make sense? In in, um, Psalm 8, um, it says, Who is man that you're mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him? You made him a little lower than the angels and crowned him with glory and honor. And so there's this kind of expectation of, actually, the son of man, in chapter 7 of Daniel, is what power looks like when it's really human. It's what humanity looks like fully human. Did I just make too much of a leap there, or is that okay? Do you understand that as worldly power pursues power in a worldly way, it becomes less and less like humans were created to be. But there's this prophecy that a son of man is going to come who's going to wield power in a truly human way. In a way that what it means to be fully alive, fully created by God. I'm not sure. Are, are, we, are we together? We're roughly speaking together. Okay, that's good. Hang on in there. Your lunch will come. Come, Lord Jesus. Amen. Uh, so, um, I want to look at a few, uh, a few ways that Jesus uses, uh, well, no. I'm going to look at three passages in the New Testament briefly, and then make a few observations, okay? Okay. Good. Uh, Next one, first one, first one is Matthew chapter 24. Now, in Matthew chapter 24, uh, a lot of the language of... Daniel comes up. Uh, Jesus is talking with his disciples and his disciples come to him and this is right at the end of Jesus's ministry towards um, his death, in the week of his death I think, um, and his disciples come to him and they're around the temple and his disciples look at the temple and they're like, whoa, look at it. It's so cool. It's a, it's a wonder of the world. Look at this temple. What great stones. How many of you do that when you walk past a cool building? You're like, like, Look at the stones. Look at the arches. Um, but his disciples, do that and Jesus isn't impressed is he do you remember he just says I tell you the truth every stone will be torn down and his disciples say when when will that be because for them that's horrific like the temple rebuilt is the focus of their worship and their worldview so what's going to happen when what God, no. Um uh, and and then they throw in a couple of other questions as well also what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age so it's a big question to answer. <laughs> and Jesus um, starts talking, if you remember. Um, he says um, that uh, basically the world's going to go from bad to bad, and there's going to be wars, there's going to be earthquakes, there's going to be persecution of God's people. Um, and when you see the abomination of desolation spoken by the prophet Daniel, that raises a question, doesn't it? Because which abomination of desolation was Daniel talking about? If he was talking about one in 170 BC, they're not going to see that. But it's introducing this idea that what if if the prophetic has these layers of meaning? That Daniel talked about one thing and then like a kind of clone stamp, that's also true in another generation. So when you see an abomination that causes desolation standing in the holy place, Flee, basically run away, because uh, there's going to be an end. This is going to be a real problem. Um, and now, there's a few ways of interpreting. Uh, oh, and then he says, and then you'll see everyone in the world will see the Son of Man coming on clouds with glory. Anyone recognize that language? Jesus is not being subtle. <laughs> he's quoting Daniel, and he's referencing um, something that Daniel foresaw um, about an event and he's saying that's now reapplied to this event. But what was Jesus talking about? What event was Jesus talking about? Because if he's talking about, um, well, there's, let me give you a few interpretations that people have. One, he's talking about the end of all time, okay? F- fair play? So he's talking about because when the Son of Man comes on the clouds, we'll see it. So it'll be obvious. That obviously hasn't happened yet. Um, and he talks about the end will come. So it must be about the end of the world. That's what a lot of people think. Um, a lot of people think the basically polar opposite view is Jesus was talking about the sacking of Jerusalem in AD 70. So as you, if some of you will know, in about AD 66 was it? There was a Jewish revolt, was it? And um, and the Jews rose up against their Roman emperor. Got a uh, tyrants um, and Rome again, a bit like Antiochus Epiphanes, but in a bigger style and flashiness. Like Rome did everything, um, they crushed it and they destroyed Jerusalem. They set up an idol in the temple and then destroyed the temple. Um, and they set, like the idol that they set up. That sounds a very good chance of being the desolation, or abomination that causes desolation that Jesus is talking about. Are you with me? So that's now a very local interpretation. Now, which of these is it? They've both got problems in the text because Jesus says, uh, so if you take the form of you that it's about the end of time, you've got a problem because Jesus says, this generation will not pass away until all of these things have been fulfilled. So it can't be about the future because that generation, I think they're all gone now. You can check. I accept Jesus. He's hanging on there. Um, Not hanging on in there, that's the wrong way of putting it. (laughs) First heresy. Okay, Uh, the problem with the first view is that if it's about the sacking of, of Jerusalem and the destruction of the temple, well, that happened, but it didn't look all that glorious like the Son of Man coming on the clouds. So, does that make sense? Like it doesn't. It sounds like Jesus anticipating something with a a judgment, yes, but a positive in some way, a positive outcome. Not sure. So there's these. I, I mean, we could talk loads more about that. Um, but do you see how Jesus uses the language of Daniel? And maybe, 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 maybe there's a room for them both being true. Just like Daniel was about Antiochus Epiphanes, but also it leaves anticipation for more. For, uh, for more interpretation so also maybe jesus is talking about the sacking of jerusalem but these are principles which are going to reoccur and reoccur and reoccur in history as beastly powers persecute god's people make sense okay i've got about 40 of you left that's good um Okay, (laughs) Uh, so I'll leave that there. Um, There's loads more we could do about that. Um, If you really want to know more and you want a really comprehensive study, what we'll do is we'll get Nigel to write a little essay on it uh, and give you the answer. So, uh, are those in favor? Great. He'll have it to you by Friday. Um, So, uh, the next passage. Now, this is where I I start to get a little bit excited. Matthew 26. This is... Jesus being dragged. Now, Jesus uses these phrases loads. I'm just picking out two of them, okay? But uh, this is Jesus being dragged before the high priest Caiaphas, just before he is sentenced to death and executed. So if we go to uh, Matthew 26, um, and actually Matthew 26 is a really long chapter. This section starts in verse 57. Um, and they drag Jesus to the high priest, and they want to interrogate him to find a charge against him so that they can kill him. So they're trumping out these false charges um, and trying to get Jesus uh, in trouble. And then in verse 63, the high priest, in fact, I think I've got this typed up in the next page. Um, yeah, the high priest says to Jesus, I charge you under oath by the living God." tell us if you are the christ the son of god now the word christ is taken from the uh, it's the same as the hebrew word messiah or anointed which is used in daniel and it talks about the anointed one being cut off in daniel cut off from what maybe life don't know but so bear that in mind so part of where this word christ comes from is the book of daniel so jesus answers it yes it is as you say. Well, I think that, that translation is a little strong. He kind of goes, you say so. Um, but I say to you, from now on. Now, some, some of your translations will say in the future. Um, that's pretty wrong. Uh, it means the, the word the, it's hereafter. It's from now onwards. Not at some indistinct point in the future. But from now on, you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. Now, here's why this <laughs> this passage is of, of the two that we currently looked at, the one that gets my blood going a little bit. Because Jesus is, is in this trial situation, and these guys are um, trying to accuse him, and they're trying to suss out, partly, what kind of a character are you? What kind of a leader do you think you are? And Jesus could have said so many things here. He wasn't required to quote Daniel, but instead he points them straight back to Daniel chapter 7 and says, you remember that son of man when the beastly kingdoms are going nuts and devouring, but there's this kingdom that seems to be built in peace that comes, that represents human rule as it should be, That that is the kingdom of God that will last forever. That is what what I've come to build, but (laughs) how does the son of man win? How does the son of man do it? How does the son of man build a kingdom? How does this son of man, like in in Daniel it's given in figurative language, but in practical terms, how does it happen? And what excites me about this part, I'm finding it hard to kind of get across, but uh, but pick up my movement if you don't pick up anything else, is, is that in some way, <laughs> Jesus is in this moment epitomizing just by being there, by being accused, and by being sentenced to death, he is being the Son of Man, coming on the clouds. Because he is, he is creating in the midst of this, this violent beast that is looking to destroy him... <laughs> He's responding in, in peace and with faithfulness to God, and it gets him killed, but that is it. That is the Son of Man coming on the clouds. Do you see? I'm, I'm finding this hard to kind of get across, but I hope you're kind of picking up something. Are you picking up something? It will become more clear when we look at Revelation 13, (laughs) as if anything ever became more clear when you look at Revelation 13. But uh, let's go to Revelation chapter 13. Revelation 13 tells the story, and I won't spend long here, don't worry, um, of um, the beasts coming out of the sea. Ring any bells? Yes. Where did the beasts come out of the sea before? In Daniel chapter 7, that's right. So, Revelation 13, I saw a beast coming out of the sea. He had ten horns. Seen horns before? Seven heads. Seen multiple heads before? You guys need to see someone. Um, With ten crowns on his head, and each head had a blasphemous name. Remember that? Blasphemy coming out of the mouths. Uh, The beast I saw resembled a leopard, had feet like those of a bear, and a mouth like that of a lion. Ring any bells? Yes yeah, so we've got the beasts of revelation uh, of of Daniel seven coming up again, and basically long story short, this beast is a nutjob and it oppresses the people of God and it it, it, it blasphemes the name uh, of God and Um, It's given authority, and it mashes the kingdoms of the earth, and then there's another little pet beast that comes out and points to the first beast and be like, worship the first beast. Um, It's all very strange, Um, and it's a little bit like Daniel chapter 7. These guys look very imposing. They look very scary. They look like they've got authority, and no one can stop them. But then, 14 verse 1 happens, and if you remember, it well, he says, Then I looked, and there before me was something else. Now, do you remember chapter 7, when he's looking at the beasts, and it says, Then I looked, and thrones were set in place. And there's this this sense of I'm seeing what God is now doing, what, what kingdom God is establishing, and he's giving the authority to the Son of Man and disposing of the beast. Do you remember that? So this is kind of two parts to the vision. I look and I see the beast, but then I look and I see God in his glory saving and redeeming and building a kingdom. Do you remember that? That's very important because now Revelation is going to reinterpret that moment for us. You ready? Then I looked and there before me was the Lamb. (laughs) what does it look like for the ancient of days to take his seat for the son of man to come on the clouds and receive the kingdom what does that look like it looks like the lamb it looks like Jesus' death and his resurrection be more excited (laughs) How does God build a kingdom? He builds it by, by, by self-sacrifice, by that kind of leadership. This is the God we serve, and that is how the Son of Man comes in glory. He comes to die. No? Yes. <laughs> I'm so pleased you're as excited about this as me. Uh, in fact, I've got a next slide that emphasizes my excitement. Oh, no, next one. There we go. It's big and it's white because it's a big lamb. Um, yeah. Uh, now, now <laughs> this to me is the key point of Daniel, the key point of Revelation, the key point of the Bible is God is building a kingdom and it looks nothing like the beast. It looks nothing like the beast. And there will always be beasts. People say, Where is the beast? what does the beast in Revelation mean? Well, it's obvious. It means Rome. But Rome's gone now, so we've got nothing to worry about. But are there still beasts? Yes, because these pictures aren't just about their time. They're also pictures that are repeated again and again and again through history as we see beasts rise up and beasts rise up and beasts rise up. (laughs) Go Naomi. I would say that refers to, or it brings us into the section that refers to the, the bit in Daniel 7 where he's just looked at the beast and now he sees the Ancient of Days um, taking his throne and the Son of Man coming. Um, yeah, make sense? Good. Uh, so, uh, and the question is, as all these beasts seem to be operating in the world, what kind of a kingdom is God going to build and how is he going to destroy the power of the beast? He's going to destroy it with a lamb. He's going to destroy it, not with violence and power, because I think often we read things like Revelation and we think God's going to show up one day and just slash everyone to death. But actually it subverts those images. And it says the victory power of God in the world over the beasts that dominate us, over sickness, over disease, over death, over evil, over injustice. The victory power of God is the Lamb, looking like he's been slain, but standing on a throne and giving his people the glory of the kingdom. And that's our hope. And that's really it. Hallelujah. Thanks, Dee. dee has gone Pentecostal. This is a good day. So, uh, <laughs> um, so uh, a few things. Uh, there's a few kind of so-whats out of this. Uh, now, there's so much more that we could do, but we're not going to. Uh, so the next slide, please. So what? So, uh, all of this is, is very interesting, but uh, well, obviously we don't just want to talk about this stuff so that you can talk to your friends and be like, I know the meaning of revelation. You're the beast. You know, that's not the point, is it? Um, the, point is <laughs> the point is that we know that w- to do something about it. What is the call on our lives to live after understanding this? I would say the first thing is just encouragement just encouragement that when we face trouble and we face difficulty of any kind there is a beast <laughs> and there's a lamb and the lamb kicks the beast's butt every time by dying that so there's this encouragement hang on in there people of god and that's really like daniel has written for that purpose revelation is written for that purpose it says this is this is for this is cause for endurance on behalf of the saints, uh, in Daniel, um, oh, this is kind of yeah, this my first two points are mixed up here. So it's encouragement, but it's also a call just to keep living for God. In Daniel chapter twelve, Daniel says to God, God, I'd love to know more about this. So he says to the angel, whoever he's talking to, I'd love to know more. Tell me more details. I want to know more details. I want to know when. I want to know where. I want to know how. I want to know who. And God says, Daniel, just get on with living. And live righteously. Get on with your, go about your day and live for the king. Isn't that cool? This calls for endurance on behalf of the saints. So so much of Revelation tells God's people, listen, don't fall for it, don't serve the beast, don't serve this kind of power, don't serve the forces of sin and darkness. Stay faithful to God, even when it looks like it will just get you wound up poor and dead, or one or the other. Uh, no problem being poor if you're dead. So anyway, uh, so live, be encouraged, live for Jesus. Um, I love it. There's a bit in, at the end of Daniel eight when he's just seen this vision and he's terrified, um, and it's the vision of the goat and the ram. And at the end of it, Daniel feels physically sick because of the vision that he's just seen. It's really affected him and his spirit. Some of you who've uh, had a lot of prophecies might know what you feel. like. like you know, some It affected him personally. Um, and then it says, I laid on my bed for a few days and then I got up and went about the king's business. As in, Daniel had this amazing revelation from God and the outcome was he served a pagan king and did it really well. He just got on with his job because that's where God had put him. And God has put us where we are, not so that we'll be obsessed about leaving and the end of the world, but so that we can serve well, live well, and honor God in our workplaces. Make sense? Easy. And the third thing, (laughs) the third thing is to pray, just to pray. Daniel spends like so much time in prayer, doesn't he? He gets, he nearly gets killed for it. Um, and uh, and now we're seeing um, in chapter nine of Daniel, we see this long prayer, or this prayer of repentance, and it's a prayer that says, "God, please come and move, come and do stuff, Lord. You see what's going on, come and change things." And the message from the angel is, <laughs> it works. Prayer works. God hears it and it moves things and it changes things. Prayer is a massive weapon for the church. Um, don't use it to hit people with, it's for love. <laughs> and and it, it, prayer is something that we can, we can do uh, together. Just like at the end of Revelation, it basically ends by saying, come Lord Jesus, doesn't it? It ends with the people of God as one, just saying, Lord, we want you to come and move in power. We want you to end this turmoil, this craziness. Would you come and move in power? Come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. Luke was talking about um, this a little bit last week because he was saying, you know, when, often when you're a young person, you don't want Jesus to come next week because, you know, you've got a great party on the next day and uh, you'd quite like to go to that and then have him come or you'd quite like to uh, go on your holiday this summer and then have him come or whatever. Um but guys, when we understand like what his coming actually means and, and what the state of the world really is, our prayer should just be, Lord, we just want you to come back. Come. Come and save. Come and redeem. Come and heal. Come come on the clouds. Come as a lamb. Come and um, uh, redeem uh, this whole world. And that brings us nicely and roundaboutly to the season of Advent. Because Advent is, where's Luke? Oh, he's not here. Oh, he would have really appreciated that. Um, what, advent is about longing isn't it and it's about longing and remembering our longing for jesus before he came the first time remembering that emptiness when we were looking for a messiah looking for a savior and it also translates to now because advent is also about saying we need you to come again lord jesus we need you to finish what you started with your death and with your resurrection and your incarnation Would you come again? And so over the next few weeks, you're going to be building up into Christmas and building up towards, um, hopefully you'll have a really great Christmas and it'll be a lovely time and family and friends and food and food and food and food and food um, and drink. Mm. Uh, so hopefully you'll have a good time uh, but uh, let's let's remember to really use advent well and think of the lessons of daniel the lessons of daniel aren't mainly can you go on forums and argue about the beast no the lesson of daniel is mainly can you long can you long for the kingdom of jesus to come